We're reading from 1 Peter 2. Reading from verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Good morning, church. So as we continue our series through 1 Peter, Hope and Holiness in a Hostile World, uh, we get to continue on and explore the last of that, those words, hostile. Um, we've explored so far the first two hoes, <laughs> ho, ho, hoes, ho, uh, hope and holiness, uh, and today we get to explore the last one, hostility. Now, as we do that this morning, uh, we're going to do it particularly in context of what is our Christian identity within that. How do we, as God's people, face this hostility as Christians? And how does our Christian identity help us uh, live out our calling in this world? Uh, So as we get stuck into God's word, uh, I'm going to start with a word of prayer. So please join with me as I pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, it is such a pleasure to come again uh, and to encounter Christ in your word, Lord. Father, I pray for each of us here, Lord, that we would uh, yeah, really sense your spirit close to us today. And particularly as we consider uh, what does it mean to be your people in this current time, in the 21st century, 2021, here in Perth, Lord. Father, I pray that your spirit might move amongst us and draw us close to you. And shape us more into the image of your Son. Father, as we consider what it means to perhaps even be rejected at times, I pray, Lord, that you might just um, encourage us, strengthen us in our faith, 
and build us, us, us up this day, Lord. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So increasingly in the West, as uh, Christians, we do see, as we've even said earlier in the service, at times to be at odd with our wider culture. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, biblical Christianity probably hasn't actually been mainstream for quite some time. In prior decades, though, uh, I guess a passive way of responding our culture was still doable. Passive in the sense that, you know, if we disagreed with our neighbours for any topic in life, we could agree to disagree and opt out in situations that didn't align with our faith. Or at least we could express our views and live out our calling alongside our neighbours. Sure, we might have experienced some social scorn along the way, seen as being a little bit different. But essentially, as Christians, we could in prior decades live out our faith entirely freely, however we chose to do so. However, in more recent times, this seems to be changing, and rapidly so. No longer is this passive approach as re- really an option, at least in a simple way. No longer is the opt-out approach as straightforward as it once was. This is because our culture seems to be increasingly demanding that we opt in to the mainstream cultural ideals. Ideals that are, at times, at odds with our Christian faith. In this way, a more overt and active response is required if you want to hold firm to the biblical truth found in the Bible. Such an approach may come with some heavy consequences. Uh, A key area in our current day and age is the area of sexuality. Uh, An example of this, there's a series of talks uh, sort of organised by folks like Peter Abetz, who I believe many of you will know who that is. Um, And yeah, he he, along with a bunch of other people, they organised a number of events uh, just in the last few months and they were tackling the conversion therapy laws that are being discussed and uh, I think the WA government would like to pass at some stage. And these laws have already passed in a number of other states, including Victoria, ACT, Queensland, and much across many other Western uh, countries across the Western world. Now these events, they sought to, I guess, address the concerns that people of faith have with parts of these laws. And how they essentially trap people into a certain way of life and a sexual identity that falls short of the deeper and more satisfying and more fulfilling identity that we can find in Jesus Christ alone. Now, by by jingoes, did they receive considerable backlash holding these events? If you just look online, I, I found quite easily at least five news articles that spoke directly and negatively against these events that were being held. Uh, There's a couple of slides that I've got as well. Uh, The first slide will show, yeah, just a a newspaper article, um, and still coming up, (laughs) that's all right. And, uh, yeah, there's a second slide that will be coming as well shortly. Uh, There's actually some protesters that came to one of the events as well. No, No slides? All right, let's go without the slides. So you just have to imagine for me a picture with some protesters. Uh, now, one of the protesters, they're holding a billboard, um, and it, I think this really sums up the situation quite well. 
On the billboard, it read, human rights are not a matter of opinion. So what I interpret that as meaning, essentially, we, this is not even something we should discuss. Why, why are people against these conversion therapy laws? What is it that the Christians have to discuss here? You see, in many issues, like this one, no longer is Christian views tolerated. It's, not, it's not, no longer a matter of uh, simply agreeing to disagree, but rather the culture wants us to fully accept and affirm a different way of life that we would say is not uh, what we would seem right. In this way, we are discouraged from even voicing an opinion. Council, culture, anyone? So how are you and I as Christians to face this? Well, as we turn to 1 Peter again today, the Apostle Peter has some really important things for us to teach us what does it mean to live in an increasingly hostile world. And the answer that he gives us is it really centres on our Christian identity. And this morning we're going to learn three things from the Apostle Peter about our Christian identity. So the first thing that we learn is that our Christian identity is marked by rejection. We have an identity marked by rejection. The Apostle Peter shows us this by way of how Jesus himself was rejected. Because he is rejected, we will be rejected. In verse 4, Peter describes Jesus as the living stone. Why did he do that? Well, he's living because he rose again from the dead. And this living stone, Jesus, was also rejected by humanity. If you read on in verse 7 and 8, there Peter, he describes uh, Jesus as this stone, this this metaphor of stone uh, we encounter again there, and it's grounded in the Old Testament. First he quotes uh, Psalm 118, verse 22, where he says concerning Jesus, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Secondly, he quotes Isaiah eight fourteen, and he says that Jesus is a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. By quoting these verses, what Jesus is doing is showing how Jesus is a fulfillment of these Old Testament passages. By calling him a stone like this is pointing to what he, what he means for us and his people and what he has done. Uh, we just zone in for a moment of the word cornerstone. That particular metaphor it refers to a, a sort of ancient masonry process. So a cornerstone back in the day, back many a couple thousand years ago, that was a really key part of the building, starting any new building project. It had to be carefully chosen and crafted, dimensionally accurate, and placed correctly. That is because the rest of the building structure would depend on the first stone that is laid. Uh, If you imagine for a moment, perhaps a modern day example is this uh, puzzle making. I know some of you enjoy puzzles. I occasionally also enjoy a puzzle. And I don't know about you, but I often start with those corner pieces and then do the border and then fill in the gaps, right? Well, it's a bit like the same. You pick one of those corner pieces. It sort of helps start off the whole process. 
for me, it helps me complete a puzzle that otherwise I wouldn't be able to complete. So what it's saying here is that Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the foundation, the base, what the church is built upon. And yet, as that cornerstone, he was rejected. If you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the the message is consistent throughout all of them. The Jewish nation, who was supposed to see the Messiah for who, who he was, rejected them, rejected Jesus. And this rejection led directly to the cross. And yet this was of no surprise to Jesus. In fact, he on multiple occasions predicted his, old, his, his coming persecution. And the Old Testament before that also pointed to the same reality the suffering servant would come and be rejected. On numerous occasions, he spoke this to his disciples, his close uh, people that he was discipling and, and walking life with. And that was all to their shock and confusion. I mean, we can even in Mark 8 read of the Apostle Peter's own response when he heard about this for the first time. In Mark 8 from verse 31, I did have a slide, but that's okay, I'll just read it. Uh, It says, And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. The Jewish nation, they were picturing a strong military messiah, someone who would come and crush their foes. And instead they got a humble, suffering servant who died on a cross. And just like Jesus, Christians in some way to trail in his footsteps. In verse 5, uh, this, this stone metaphor that's being consistently used throughout our passage, he applies that to Christians. He says, we collectively are living stones. This points to our spiritual union with Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit in us, we are his and he is ours. And a part of that union is sharing in his rejection that he experienced from humanity. And the Old New Testament consistently teaches this reality for Christians. In the verses, if you read on in Matthew in Mark eight that I just read, uh, the next verses go on to say that if any Jesus is saying, if anyone wants to follow me, you've got to pick up your cross. You've got to die and, and give up your life for me. And then I will give you true life. Ultimately, then, to reject rejection is to reject Jesus. If you want to be a Christian, we've got to be willing to face rejection and to suffer for his sake. In in Matthew 10, it says from verse 17, Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. In verse 22, And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. I mean, that's some pretty heavy verses, yeah? In this way, as Christians, we should not be surprised if we experience rejection because of our faith. In fact, quite the opposite. We should expect rejection when we share the gospel in our faith. I mean, throughout many parts of the world today, that is the norm for some Christians. And throughout church history, many Christians have suffered in many ways. Now, of course, in our modern times, in our Western world, we haven't had to suffer in, in ways compare, compared to many Christians in the past. And indeed, we, we should be thankful for that. That is God's grace, and that is something to be thankful for. But I think it's also true that in such times, it is easy to become complacent in our faith, to be caught off guard, to think, oh, well, it just won't happen to me. In this way, I, the Apostle Peter, he smashes our expectations for the comfortable Christian life. How do you, this morning, feel about the possibility of being rejected because you're a follower of Jesus? Are you prepared to stand firm when the culture turns up the heat? Or will you be caught off guard, underprepared? This certainly challenges us to consider what are our expectations for the Christian life in this life, in this world. What is it that we're truly signing up to, you might think? So that's the first mark of the Christian identity. It is one that is marked by rejection. And yet there's something else that the Apostle Peter wants to teach us this morning. So the second mark this morning of our Christian identity is that our identity is marked by election. Marked by election. What I mean by that is being chosen. And Peter shows that in our passage the exactly the same way that reason why we're rejected is the reason why we're elected. Christ suffered and was rejected. We were rejected and we will face rejection. But also Christ was chosen and elected and we too are chosen and elect. Verse 4 reads, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Furthermore, in verse 6 it goes on. Again, Peter dips into the Old Testament. Here he quotes Isaiah 28.16 and he says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So there you have it. Jesus there is chosen. He's precious in God's eyes. If we fast forward and look at the cross for a moment and his resurrection, there in in his death and resurrection, Jesus overcame all rejection. There he actually experienced rejection by both humanity and God. By bearing the wrath of God for sin. In this way, Jesus experienced something that you and I as Christians won't actually experience. On the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus on the cross felt utterly rejected. 
and he faced the rejection of God in, in, in carrying the weight of sin so that we would not be rejected by God. And yet it's also true that Jesus here is described as chosen and precious in God's eyes. A fact proven that only three days later, Jesus powerfully rose Jesus up from the dead. That was God's plan from the beginning. All in order to save sinners and open the way of grace and mercy to be poured out on God's people. Again, our spiritual union through that, as believers, you and I are chosen, elect. We are considered precious in God's sight by faith in Christ. Throughout our passage, Peter has like a plethora of ways of describing God's people. It's, it's wonderful. I, 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 I thought it was 11 talking to Dan, but it's actually 9 I counted. Uh, he, he goes on and says, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood we are being built up. In verse 9, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. In verse 10, we, are, we once were not a distinct people, and now we are together the people of God. Once we did not receive God's mercy, and now we have received God's mercy. I mean, that's such a, so many ways of describing God's people. It's wonderful. I, I, in some sense, you think, oh, is Peter just getting really excited here and just trying to you know, show his excitement in, in what he's saying? And that is true. But a lot of it is showing how the Old Testament was saying this all along. And now that Jesus is coming, we are here now, and that's a fulfillment um, of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. All these descriptions show how precious we are in God's eyes and how we received his wonderful, undeserved grace and mercy. What Peter's emphasizing here is that there's actually only one audience that matters. There's only one opinion that we should be listening to that rises above all other opinions. And that is what God thinks of you. And it's when you get this deep down, that's when you can face the rejection of the world. It's then that we discover our true identity by the blood of Christ, secured in Christ alone. Knowing and experience His amazing grace and mercy towards us. So I ask you this morning, Christian, do you know this acceptance, this love from God through Jesus? Do you know in your heart this acceptance that rises above and trumps all else? Is Christ so precious to you this day that it doesn't really matter what others think and what you may experience because of that faith you have? The acceptance here also helps us to understand the promise that Peter gives in the passage, this promise that those who put their trust in Jesus will never be put to shame. I mean, how can he say that when we may, may face rejection? Isn't that shame? Well, it, it is true that in the short term we may face that in this life. But in God's eyes, we're honoured. And so in that sense, in this life, we are still considered honoured even if the world doesn't reject it, uh, doesn't accept that. And yet this honour also, it spills over into eternity, a time where God will make all wrongs right. And all human 
shame too will be taken away from believers. What a marvelous day for us to be looking forward to. Furthermore, Peter's point here is that we are a people who are chosen. Not just individuals, but a people. Our Western world is often individualistic in in how we think and how we do life. But the Bible so often is is community-minded. In this way, we actually have a wonderful opportunity to minister Christ to each other. To face rejection as a group and support each other in that. I mean, it was only last week that we talked about the love, the Christian love in Christian community. Walking through the trenches on the battlefield is much more bearable when you have one, two, three companions to walk through the trenches with that are by your side. How are you contributing to this? How are you supporting your fellow brother and sister in Uh, their identity in Jesus, building them up, reminding them of who they are and what we are called to do. So this leads to our our last mark, the third thing that we get to learn from the Apostle Peter this morning. We've seen that our identity is marked by rejection, by election, and lastly we learn that it is marked by proclamation, speaking out. What the Apostle Peter shows us is that our identity leads to a new purpose. In verse 5, what he says there is that we are to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ. What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, I think if we turn just to the immediate context, look at verse 9. I think that gives us the most obvious answer. It says there that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is our purpose now. The end goal is always praise and worship of our great goal, God, and what he has done for us. That is our spiritual sacrifice. That is what pleases God and brings him glory. It's always been the goal. We are made for worship. And if we don't worship God, we're simply going to worship something else. In our modern age, that alternative is worshipping ourselves. For Christians, though, who know how precious Jesus is, the most natural thing is to sing out our praise and worship to him. In this way, all those descriptions that we mentioned before that relates to our identity, it also relates to our purpose. We are chosen to joyfully worship God. Uh, part of this, there's actually a, a naturally uh, evangelistic side to this proclamation. Uh, we, we've, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, uh, sorry, last week, we talked about the holiness, how we are called to be holy. And part of that is to be distinct and to stand out from the crowd. But this distinctiveness that we spoke of, standing out from the crowd, should never lead to separation, complete separation from the world, from our culture. A part of being holy priest, of being a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood in this world, is for others to see and experience the praise and worship that you have of God. 
We are called in this way to show Christ in our culture. Desiring others to encounter how precious Jesus is for them too. And such a joy and praise, it's contagious. When you have it, it just so naturally comes out of you. It wells up inside of you and others naturally observe it. If you just picture for a moment a child who may open up a a new toy or a birthday present and you just see the excitement on their face. (laughs) They can't help but just run around and tell everyone else about their new toy. Uh, Our own family experienced this in the last week, not because it was anyone's birthday, um, but uh, we went to, you know how Woolies have been doing that uh, the free Lego that they're handing out at the moment? Uh, We have been collecting those Lego packs. And we just happened to be at the shops this week uh, when the promotion was ending and the person at the checkout turned to us and said, well, I actually just need to get rid of it. Do you want all the Lego that we have left? And I was with Samuel at the time and you should have seen the excitement on his face. He's like, so excited about getting a whole bag of Lego. Uh, (laughs) He just couldn't stop talking about it. And when we truly get God's grace and mercy, it's it's exactly the same it's contagious it's a joy that bubbles out of us that other people see and just experience it's it's a natural part of our life and it's a joy that enables us to proclaim christ and accept rejection in fact the more you proclaim christ the more likely you are to be rejected those things are often connected we are called then to proclaim christ collectively, each of us, a task for all of us to do. To preach, it may not mean preaching the gospel, but it could be just speaking the gospel to our friends, our neighbours, our work colleagues, showing Jesus in many different ways in all settings, in day-to-day conversation. Is that a task that you are willing to take up? Do others observe how precious Christ is to you? Are you active in sharing your faith? Or is your heart cold this morning to God's mercy and grace to you? Are you so firm in your identity in Christ that you are empowered to live out this new purpose? To sing God's praises and speak of his mercy forevermore. That is my prayer for all of us this morning. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to praise and worship you this morning. We thank you that you called us out of darkness into your most marvellous and wonderful light. Thank you that although we were lost and cut off from you in our sin, through Jesus on the cross, you made the way open to salvation. Father, we confess that when we consider the uh, possibility of being rejected, that is a difficult thing for us to wrestle with, particularly if we haven't experienced it before in our journey with you. Father, I pray that you would embolden us, empower us, show the love of Jesus to us and your mercy and grace in such a way that we just can't help but share you to others. Father, we pray that, uh, and we thank you that your Holy Spirit comes and empowers us, that you give us what we need to share you, to proclaim you. This is not a joy that we can make up, but something that can only come from you, something that you, we confess you, you need to do a great work in us. 
Father, will you do that great work in us today? All to your praise and glory. Amen.